My name is Brian Bradley. I'm one of the elders here at Outward Church. Uh, thank you for being here. And um, we're going to continue on in 1 Corinthians. And of course, the next chapter, Matt finished chapter 12. So the next chapter, for those of you who count, is 13. 1 Corinthians 13 may be familiar. Okay, it talks something about love, being patient and kind. It doesn't envy, it does not boast. When we read this passage here in a minute, it may, think you, it may make you think of a certain event that maybe you've been to. It may make you think of, of these large events that sometimes happen where people come together in a big, fancy building. Sometimes these buildings have stained glass. I think I know, I think you know what I'm talking about, right? Uh, you come to these events, half the people sit on one side, half the people sit on the other side, Right? Uh, tears are often shed, promises are made, Bible passages are read, and sometimes 1 Corinthians 13, talking about love, is one of those Bible passages. The event, of course, that I'm talking about is church splits. <laughs> right? <laughs> you, you weren't thinking I was talking about a wedding, were you? Because Paul's not talking about a wedding. This, I mean... We, we sometimes, we, we hear this so often at weddings that, that it's hard to, to divide, it's hard to separate this passage from marriage, but really what Paul's talking about here is something so much deeper. Uh, what Paul is, is talking about, if you remember the context that we're in, it, talking about the quarreling within the church, the divisions, that these people want to worship this way and these people think we should worship this way. Uh, that, that this is of most importance. No, this is of most importance. The, the church at Corinth was coming apart at the seams, and Paul was addressing these divisions. He was addressing the lack of love between Christians, between uh, church members like us, right? That's the context of what he's talking about. So, I want to read that now. I want to read the whole passage. It's fairly short. It's 13 verses. I want to read the whole thing in 1 Corinthians, uh, and then we're going to back up, and we're going to break it down a little bit and talk about it, okay? But try to, just for a moment, separate uh, the love between a husband and wife and, and what we're reading here. Try to read this in the context that we've been studying in Corinthians, a letter to a church that has some problems, has some issues, Okay, 1 Corinthians 13, starting there in verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. I give away all I have, and I del if I give up all that I have, and deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices at the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, 
and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. So to be clear, it's not wrong if you had this passage read at your wedding. It's probably half of you did or, or more. Uh, there's nothing wrong with, with applying this description of love to the love between a husband and wife, but, but it should be at least that. Like when, when I think about this list of love and, and, and sacrificing to love in this way for my wife, like that makes sense to me. I, I can see that that's uh, maybe something to strive for. Maybe I'll never check everything off the list, but I can, I can, you know, maybe make some major strides to that direction. But then when I think about that jerk I disagree with in church, and th- this love is supposed to apply there, right? So this love, sure, it, it describes marriage love, but like at a minimum, it describes so much more than that. It describes the love we're to have in relationships that that are for one another, uh, that are for our neighbor, right? Jesus talks about loving your neighbor. Jesus even talks about loving your enemies. Think about the people who spit in your face and loving them in this way. Now, all of a sudden, this passage gets a little bit harder, I think. So, I think primarily... As I look and I, and I dig into this passage, there's, there's three reasons. I think Paul points out three reasons why we don't love this way. Three reasons why we don't love in a way that this passage could describe us. Okay, And, and the same thing for, for the Corinthians. In fact, that list is almost the opposite list of, of what he says about the Corinthians through the whole thing. So we can see that that they are rude and they are boastful and, and they are arrogant and all these things, right? Uh, throughout the rest of the book, Paul's pointing these out and he's saying, you guys have nothing of this love. And, and I think that that applies to us too. So three reasons we don't love like this. Number one, we place importance on the wrong things. In our Christian lives, we place important, uh, importance on the wrong things. That's number one. Number two, we don't understand this kind of love and number three, it's too costly. Okay, now what do I mean by these? First of all, we place importance on the wrong things. Uh, if, if you have kids uh, or if you've been to a kid's birthday party uh, any time in your life, you've probably seen a certain phenomenon that, uh, that is hilarious, which is the kid opens a gift, sometimes a big expensive gift, Right, somebody spent a couple hundred bucks on this thing for this kid, whatever this is, and they're more interested in what? The box. The box is the coolest thing they've ever seen. I, at one of my daughter's birthday parties, I remember, I don't even know what the thing was, neither does my kid. Uh, we opened it up, and it was expensive, and they didn't care. They wanted the box, and I ended up turning the box into a little house, cut little windows and a door into it, and they loved it. They played with it forever until the cardboard was falling apart. 
they place importance on the wrong things, right? In, if we're thinking of uh, <laughs> the right thing being the thing we spent money on. Um, they're focused on the wrong thing. We do the same thing. We underestimate love's worth. In verses 1 through 3 there, Paul says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith so as to remove mountains, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. And it goes on and on, right? All of these things that we would place importance on, you you think of that the person in the church that is just so full of faith. Man, I'm pretty sure if that guy told a mountain to move, hey, Mount Hood, I can't quite see you from my window. Would you move over there? You think, you know what? His faith would probably do that. We go, that's important. Or we go, the, the, the understanding all mysteries and all knowledge, we look to the, the preachers, we look to, to Pastor Matt, and we go, he, that's so important that he can understand. He reads the scriptures and he understands it and he breaks it down and puts it in terms that, that we can hang on to. That's of so much importance. And Paul says that's the wrong thing to put importance, uh, to, to, to place or to see as important. Love is that thing. Now, do we look at a person that is maybe meek and humble within the church, but that just exudes love? Maybe has no position no, no role is not on the paid staff, but just has been a Christian for a long time, is mature, and just loves and loves and never seems to have an end to that. Do we place importance on that? I don't know that we always do, and that's what Paul is pointing out here. He's saying, you're looking at the big flashy signs, the miracles. The, the church in Corinth, I mean, they're performing miracles. Things are happening. The ministry is growing. It looks like it's it, it's. Like, they've got it going on, and they've placed all of this importance on things that Paul says it doesn't matter. Those things are of little importance. Love. You, you, you do those things, and you do them out of a selfish heart, right? You get up to preach so that people will see you as smart and accomplished without the motivation of love that's worthless, that, that has no value in God's, in God's kingdom. It, it's got to be... All of these things have their place and have value, but, but only when they come from a changed heart. When the Holy Spirit comes in and changes your heart and you do this from a loving and selfless motivation, not for your own glory or recognition or, or whatever motives you may have. So we underestimate love's worth. And then verse 8 and 10, if we skip over there, he says, Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. I mean, think about this. Uh, the, these things, right, speaking in tongues, uh, you know, the, the, a lot of that was going on. People have different beliefs on that and, and how it works out today. Let's, who, who cares, right? We get to heaven and we can all communicate. We all speak together. We can, we're hanging out with Jesus, of what value is that? He says, that, there's no value that passes away. All knowledge and understanding. Right, Pastor Matt can go to the scriptures and read it and discern it and preach on it. And that's great, but like honestly, in heaven, he's going to be out of a job. Right, if you have a question about the scriptures, <laughs> if you have a question about the scriptures, are you going to Matt Porter or are you going to Jesus? Like, hey Jesus, what did you mean by this? Like, I, I'm, you know... Those things pass away, 
But love continues. Love never goes away. Heaven is a realm of love. Always in perfect, complete love. That doesn't fade. That doesn't go away. That's so much more important. That is eternal, while those other things are temporary. I think another way that we place importance on on the wrong things, or, or one of the reasons we overlook love, many of you may be familiar with Galatians 5. It talks about the fruit of the Spirit, right? It says the fruit of, like, if the Holy Spirit's working in your life, it's going to produce this fruit, and it's going to look like this. And, and there's a whole list there, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, right? All of that. And so we think, I, I think when we look at that passage often, I myself and, and you maybe think, okay, here are the fruits of the Spirit, and if I'm lacking in one, that's okay. I have strengths in other areas, right? And, and so love is just one of those fruits. But the word there is singular. It's a little bit confusing in English because uh, fruit can be used in, in, a, in a plural sense. The, the singular word can be used in a plural sense. But in Greek, that, that is definitely a singular word. Paul is, is saying there in Galatians, there is a fruit of the Spirit, one, that is produced. And this is what it looks like. It encompasses all of these things, right? And so if you have an apple with a rotten spot in the back, is that a good apple? No, that's not a good apple. You don't want anything to do with it, right? You go, well, it's just this one spot is no good. No, the whole thing. It grows together, that this fruit is made ripe and perfect together, all of these areas. Uh, An analogy that that I uh, heard from Tim Keller uh, he says that, that when we think of the fruit of the Spirit, we should think of it as a diamond, right? That, that a diamond has many facets, and you can look through one facet, and you see all of the others, right? So you can look through love, and you see joy and, and hope and patience and kindness and all of these things. In fact, as Paul goes on here in a second to describe love, you see some of the other of the fruit of the Spirit described there because you're looking through this side of the diamond and you're seeing all those other elements. But you can also look through joy and you're going to see love and you're going to see patience. You're going to see all of these things, right? That no matter how you, you, you look at this fruit, this diamond, uh, you're seeing many other or, or all of the other uh, facets of that just through a slightly different lens. So that's if we understand that, if we understand that, that love is, is not just one of the fruits, but, but it is a part of that, and in fact, um, it can be seen in every one of those aspects, then I think we, we can begin to place importance rightfully on love, okay? So that's the first problem, that we, uh, we place importance on the wrong things, right? That's the, the first reason we don't love. The second reason we don't love is because we don't understand this kind of love, So there in verse 7, Paul gives this incredible description of love, and this may seem foreign. He says, love is patient and kind. It does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. I don't think we understand that. Like, honestly and, and truthfully, I don't think we've, many of us have, have experienced that. At best, we've maybe seen a, a shadow of it. 
just, just a, 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 a passing glimpse at what this love really is. And I think many of us have not even seen that. Depending on your family situation, the kind of love you receive from your parents, the kind of love you have received from friends or your spouse, your kids, whatever, even in the best cases, even in the best situations, it's just a shadow. It's a, it's a dim version that we see of this real love. We, we see this, this list and we try to comprehend it as a list, like a checklist or a to-do list. Right? We, we, try to, we try to say, okay, well, if, if I see this list here and, and maybe print it on, a, on a, a wall art thing that I'm going to hang in my living room and I just meditate on these things and I, and I try to check these off one by one, then I will be able to show this kind of love. We will be able to experience this kind of love in our home. We treat it like a to-do list and it doesn't, it doesn't work that way. Real love, true love doesn't work that way. Some things can't be learned out of a book, okay? Some things can't be learned. I, I was trying to think of examples of things that I tried to learn through a book, tried to learn academically that you just, you just have to get your hands dirty and experience it to know it. Uh, and, and, you know, the things that came to mind, my, my dad was a contractor, and, and so I would go along with him as a kid, and, and I would um, help him work on houses and, and build things and repair things and all this kind of stuff. And I feel like that, like... I could have read books about how to, you know, repair dry rot in a floor or something, but it, until you get in there and you start ripping stuff up and you get your hands dirty and you experience doing that, you experience construction, you're not going to know it. And I think this plays out in, in a number of ways. You, you can probably think of things that, that you have learned by experience that can't be taught in a book. That's how this is. This isn't a to-do a, a to list. It can't be a to-do list. Paul can't be giving us a to-do list. It, it would be crippling if that were the case. In, instead, I think Paul is describing a person. Paul is describing a person, not a checklist. When you read through this, it sounds like Paul is describing Jesus. Now, I think if we start to think about this as a description of Jesus, when we think about this as a person rather than a to-do list, I think we're moving in the right direction. We can experience the love that Jesus has given to us, and that can start to make sense to our hearts like a list never will. When you think about this, how, how love is patient and kind, man, I think about how patient Jesus was with his disciples, right? I, consistently, we, we read through the Gospels, and the disciples do and say some stupid things. I mean, really, really, really dumb things. And and they, they just jump up and they blurt out, like at one point, John and, and one of the other disciples is arguing over, like, who's going to sit at Jesus' right hand? And like, who, like hey, who's your favorite, huh? Who's your, and it's like, what? You're, you're trying to argue and position for place? What is going on? Don't you know he's, he's headed for crucifixion? I don't think you want to be too close right now. 
like, they, you know, they, they just say and do these really goofy things. And, and Jesus is patient. He's so patient with them, right? And he, and he takes his time and he explains these things over and over and over. And, and a great example is when um, Peter denies Jesus three times. In fact, I mean, it, it's so fascinating. Jesus tells Peter at dinner, you're going to deny me three times. And he says, no, 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 I won't do it. And Jesus goes, okay. <laughs> well, yeah, we'll see, okay? Uh, doubt the all-knowing God. All right. Uh, you're going to deny me three times. Peter is so amped up in trying to prove that that's not going to be the case that when they come to arrest Jesus, he whips out his sword and cuts a guy's ear off. Like, whoo, calm down. What's, what is going on? We, I told you this was going to happen, right? Jesus picks up the ear, puts it back on the guy's head. All's good, okay? Then, hours later... Peter denies him three times. How patient and kind and loving is Jesus? And what happens when Jesus uh, is resurrected? Peter's back out on a boat fishing. He's given up. He said, that, that's it, I'm done. And Jesus calls him in, off the water. He sits down, he has dinner with him. He says, Peter, feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, feed my sheep. Right, three times he makes Peter confirm that he loves him. The same number of times Peter denied him. He restores him. He brings him back in. Jesus is so patient. And then I think about my own life. I praise God that he's patient because I am, I am so slow to learn. Peter and John, these guys look like all-stars compared to me. I, I'm constantly fouling up and messing up. I'm constantly stumbling back into sin. Constantly, and God is so patient. Jesus is so kind. Right? This list describes the person. Love does not envy or boast. That can be said of Jesus. It's not arrogant or rude. You think, I, I mean, who... Of, of all people ever, was worthy to be praised, only Jesus. And did he demand that on earth? Was he, was he positioning? And, and No, he was humble. He was homeless. He's walking around. He's just trying to share the good news. Right? He's not arrogant. Does not insist on its own way. I mean, think about that. Love does not insist on its own way. Jesus does not insist on his own way. To the point of the cross, was bleeding out on a cross for Jesus' sake or for us? Was he insisting on his own way? No. He was doing that for us. He was doing that to, to forgive us. He was doing that to pay for our sin. He was not insisting on his own way not irritable or resentful. Jesus doesn't hold our sins over our head. Right? When we come to him, we say, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to I see you as Lord and Savior. Then it's done. He said on the cross, it is finished. He paid fully. There's no reason to, to hold our sin over our head, to beat us with it, to make us suffer. He suffered. Already, two people don't need to suffer for the same crime. He suffered for it in our place. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures 
all things. And truly, Jesus endured all things on the cross for our sake. I mean, this is the, the, the basics of the gospel in this description. So, we, we have placed importance in the wrong places, right? And if we begin to see love as that thing that is eternal, while all other things are temporary, then we can, we can begin to have a, a right mindset in, in that way. And, and the second reason we don't love, I said, is because we don't understand this kind of love. And I think that if we understand this, as we, if we see this as a description of Jesus and how he's loved us, now we begin to experience it in a way that we can understand it. Not as a list, but as a person, as that relationship with Jesus. And the third reason that we don't love like this is because it's too costly. It's too costly. When you think about that list, and, and you think about loving in that way, and, and again, not just to your spouse, but to everyone, your friends, your neighbors, church members, even your enemies, as Jesus says, to love our enemies. When you think about that, that's costly. That's so costly. And, and we go, I, I can't afford to pay that kind of love to the people that I interact with. I'll go bankrupt. Spiritually, emotionally bankrupt, Jesus. How could you ask me to love like that it's just not reasonable. Maybe my spouse, I'll give you that one, and then that's it. And that one's going to be, you know, kind of so-so. Right? No. How, how can I afford that? And Paul, Paul addresses this too in verse 11. He says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. He's calling the Corinthians childish for thinking about love this way. I'm sure he's thinking that the response is going to be, Paul, that's unrealistic. We can't do that. And he says, don't, don't think and reason like a child anymore. I mean, I too reasoned like a child when I was a child. Now grow up. Give up those childish ways. There are things that make perfect sense to kids that do not make any sense to adults. Right? I, I remember I was a little kid helping my dad in, in, uh, as he was building. He was under a house, I think, fixing something. I have no idea. Uh, but I was like four or five years old, and I was his, uh, I was his gopher, so I would go get tools uh, for him, right? And so I'm out of the, the crawl space. My dad's under the house, and he would crawl to the edge and say, hey, I need a hammer. I'd give him a hammer. He'd crawl back under. He'd come back out, give me the hammer. He'd go, okay, I need a pair of pliers. I'd give him a pair of pliers. He'd crawl back under. Right? And so I'm kind of bored. I'm out there hanging out outside the house. And in my childish reasoning, I saw a hammer with a round head on the hammer, right? And I saw my dad had this big six-foot level. It was all wood. It was this cool-looking tool. And it had these round glass dials with the little bubble in them, right? And in my childish reasoning, I go, the round face of this hammer is roughly the same size as the round glass part in this level, like a round peg fitting in a round hole, this fits. And so I smashed out every one of the little glass vial things in the level. And my dad comes out, hey, hand me the level. And I hand him the level. What? I mean, he freaked out. Um, he still brings it up. 
It's a, it's a sore subject. It really is a sore, <clears throat> sore subject. Um, but like in my childish reasoning, that totally made sense. I didn't see any reason why not to do that. But then you grow up and you go, okay, well, that doesn't make sense because the, the level won't work. <laughs> the level needs those little bubble things to work. Um, so that, that's what Paul's saying. He's saying, it, listen, this is childish. First of all, it's childish to think that you can do this on your own. It's childish to think of this as a list that you can somehow accomplish with the people in your life. We should know by now, the Corinthians should know by now, hearing from Paul, that nothing about Christianity comes down to our efforts. Nothing about Christianity says try harder, do better, just grip this thing and, and just get through it. Nothing about Christianity is that. That's the, the greatest misconception about this religion is, is that it's, it's a, a checklist, it's do's and don'ts that by our effort we can become better people. And that is not the case. Paul's going, it's childish to think that way still. You should know by now, as Christians, you should know that only God working in you produces anything of value. Only the Holy Spirit coming and dwelling in your heart is able to change your, your very motivation to a way that, that produces something of value. That fruit of the Spirit is just that. It's fruit of the Holy Spirit in you. It's not the fruit of Brian being worked out. This is not the fruit of my efforts. It's the fruit of God's efforts. So he says, don't be a child and think that this is something you can do. Don't, the Bible never lets us boil anything down to simple religion because that's not what it's about. We, we can never boil this down to, well, if I do these things and I avoid these things, then I'm good with God. God doesn't indebt himself to us in that way. God indebts only himself as he goes to the cross and pays for it. So he says, don't be childish and think you can do it. And, and secondly, don't be childish and keep account, right? It, it's childish to, to say, well, th this love is so costly. This love is so costly that, that I, I could only do this for my wife or, or maybe my wife and my kids. I couldn't do this for other people. I'll, I'll go spiritually, emotionally bankrupt if I do this, Jesus. I'm keeping track. I'm keeping account. And if I love people like this, even my enemies who are not returning love, if I'm giving out more than I'm taking in, I'll be left with nothing. How can I love all of these people in this way? I'll just pour everything out and I'll have nothing left for myself. My account will be dry. And Paul says, don't think like that. In, in Matthew 18, in, in verse 23, Jesus tells this story, a parable about how how the kingdom of God works. He says, Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. I did the math roughly in today's dollars, uh, about $10 billion. Okay? That's what this guy owes his master, $10 billion roughly, right? And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made, right? Time to pay up. I'm settling accounts. Hand me my 10 billion and you can go. 
And the guy goes, I, he's a common laborer. I, I don't have 10 billion. I could work 100 lifetimes and not have $10 billion. He goes, okay. Then off to prison you go. You and your wife and your kids, your whole household. Off you go until you can repay me. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything, which he can't. But he's just begging, he's, he's pleading for anything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. He didn't say, okay, I'll give you a little bit more time. We'll see you next month, and we'll see if you have that money. No, he releases him, and he forgives the debt, wipes it clean. He absorbs the cost himself, a $10 billion debt. He goes, I'll take care of it. I'll take care of it. You're free to go. You owe me nothing. Right? Think about that, how significant that is. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii, which is, a, in today's dollar, probably about $20,000. So a sizable debt. But think about what just happened, right? He was just forgiven this, this $10 billion debt. And he seizes him, he seizes the other servant, and begins to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. Does it sound familiar? Right, it's what he just said to his master. But he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. Uh, only a child, when loved by God, would keep account of the love he's paying out. Paul is saying, give up those childish ways. Don't you understand what a debt you've been forgiven of? Don't you understand what is in your account? If you knew the deposit that Jesus made into your love account, you would not worry about those small debts paid out to these other people. Only someone who has no idea the deposit Jesus has made would even keep count anymore. We don't understand what we've been given. We love like this. We can only love like this if we first understand how Jesus has loved us. We can only love like this when we see Jesus on the cross. That's the only time it makes sense. That's the only way we can reconcile this kind of love is when we look to Jesus on the cross and we go, man, that guy wronged me. Should I be patient and kind with him still? I don't think so. He's wronged me. He's burned me. I'm not going to be burned again, we say. But when we look to the cross and we go, oh, I wronged Jesus. I sinned against the God, the creator of the universe, the one who gives me life and breath. And he forgave me. He chose to love me anyway. So I look at that. And I look at how I have wronged Jesus over and over and over again, even after being repaid that debt even after being loved in that way, 
I continue to sin against God. I continue to fall short. I continue to blow it off like it's not a big deal. And yet Jesus is continually patient, continually loving. And so now this guy who's wronged me, do I let him wrong me again? Yes. Why not? Why not? I, I sometimes hear a, a complaint, or, or I don't know, a complaint, but just a, a conversation that's had a, a lot of times here at our church is, man, wh- why are we always talking about the gospel? Like, we're just talking about Jesus dying on the cross and, and all this stuff. What, I mean, can we get to the deeper stuff? Can we, can, you know, I've, I've heard that. Can we move on? Can we get to the, the, the exciting, the, the cool? I mean, can we be like debating end times or something? And like Paul's saying, this is the deep stuff. There's nothing deeper than understanding this love. We've got to talk about this all the time because we've got to hear this all the time. I have got to hear this all the time because it's so easy to forget the love that I've received. And as soon as I forget the love that I've received, I stop extending that love to anyone else and the whole thing falls apart. We've got to talk about this and remind ourselves constantly. This is the deep stuff. In verse 12, Paul says, for now we see in a mirror dimly. And and that's sometimes translated as through glass darkly. Right? And and either way, whether it's a a mirror in that day would be a polished piece of metal, glass as they had it a couple thousand years ago, it's not clear panes of glass like we have now. It would have color to it, like green or brown glass. It'd be obscured and hard to see through. It'd let a little bit of light through. That's what, what, if it's, if we translate it a glass darkly, we can understand like trying to look through a beer bottle or something to see the world. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Paul says that if we, As deep as we can understand this love, as deep as we can understand God and his graciousness, we're still looking through a a piece of obscured glass or or a, a, a poor reflection in a polished piece of metal. Paul points to heaven. He points forward. He points to to what's beyond this life. If you can imagine going your whole life looking through this dark piece of glass and that's all you see. And even if you focus on this love and you understand it, Paul goes, understand that you're still seeing as through glass darkly. You're still just seeing this this dim understanding of what this love is. And there's so much more. There's so much more to it. It's so much richer than we can even ever know or understand to reason like an adult would be to focus on that and go, man, I'm, I'm going to try to understand this love. I'm going to look to Jesus on the cross. And I still know that, that it's richer than that. It's deeper than that. That in heaven I'll see clearly as face to face. I'll see love face to face. 
I'll see Jesus. And I'll understand better than I've ever been able to understand. It won't even compare. We look forward to that. Let me pray. Jesus, I'm so grateful for the way that you have loved us. Jesus, I'm so grateful for the way that you have loved me. God, that you didn't wait for us to express love and then you reciprocate, God, but you first loved us. You modeled this for us. You've shown us this love through the person of Jesus Christ. We can see and experience this love. God, I pray that that your love would move us to respond. God, I pray that your love would, would move us to be more loving. I pray that your love would your love would just overwhelm us as we begin to to wrap our heads around part of it. We pray this in Jesus' name.